In just over a decade, Mike Piercy has gone from professional baseball player to on-staff club trainer to TRX master instructor to a member of the Under Armour training team, facility owner, author, idea personal trainer of the year, and to one of the most sought-after presenters in all the fitness industry. Join me as Mike walks us through the steps that he's taken along his journey to the top. You heard me say this a couple times, when the student's ready, the coach will appear. And that's happened for me so many times throughout life. The last thing you ever want to do is, is gain a spirit of entitlement, right? Where you think that you deserve things just because you've been there. Because that's not how things work. You know, that's not how it works on a team. That's the one thing I carried over from baseball is I wanted to always be in groups that forced me to raise the level of what I was doing. I'm Fraser Quelch, and this is a TRX Procast where we chat with some of the most iconic leaders in fitness to get the inside track on what it takes to thrive and succeed in the ever-changing landscape of business, training, and life. Basically, I grew up in Hillside, Irvington, New Jersey. So growing up in my house, you know, you had like the holy trinity of what it was. It was like whatever my pops had going on, you had baseball and you had Billsburg Park, which is basically where you hung out most of the time. On a Saturday, Sunday, you know, my pops usually would load up the station wagon. You know, you had like myself and you had 14 cousins who jumped in there like the clown car at the circus. And you drove off to Billsburg Park and he pretty much opened the door at 9 a.m. And then he'd come back and open the door again at four. And if you weren't there, he pretty much took off without you. Like he got a one kid discount. But essentially, <laughs> you know, my dad was a semi-pro uh, baseball player, truck driver. You know, people who listen to the speech when we when I did the speech at Idea, you know, they know a lot about my mom. and She plays heavy into the story. But that whole family dynamic, my pop was a huge part of it. So growing up, baseball was our thing. My dad was a semi-pro baseball player. He played for the, you know, the Nork Eagles, which was like the post, you know, Negro League version of them in Nork. You know, they called him Big Eagle. And, uh, you know, he was captain of the team. And, you know, every weekend, you know, me and my brothers would go out. My brother pitched for St. Peter's University. He used to keep the scorebook. So it was my dream growing up to be able to get smart enough to keep the scorebook. At the same time, my dad's like, you know, I got to keep the scorebook. He'd go out there and, you know, play play center field, play first base, and, you know, really, you know, just work on baseball skills. So it was really just running around at the park, trying to stay out of trouble and trying to do different things. So that was really what it was. And, you know, every day was kind of like that. It was kind of like trying to develop skills and that was my really my first dream, you know, grew up with the 1986 Mets, which like I can't understand now. Back in back in the day in my neighborhood, it was like very unpopular to be a Yankees fan. The Yankees weren't very good. It was like the 80s was like the Mets era. So oh, yeah. Watching the 86 Mets, Doc Gooden, Dow Strawberry and all those guys on the block. That's very cool. Now, as you're coming up playing baseball in New Jersey and then tell me a little bit about the whole the whole baseball thing, because you didn't just play a little bit of baseball. I mean, you played some baseball. Yeah, we did. Uh, you know, I, I got a chance to play with some some organizations. So the thing is, the funny thing about it is most people won't know. It's a little known fact. I didn't play baseball in high school, really. I played like a few games and that was it. I played basketball and, um, and football at the time. A cousin of mine is Jalen Rose. So Jalen, you know, at the time it was the Fab Five and we all thought we were basketball players, you know, which I was good from about five, ten feet. And I was, you know, on a fast break, I dunk on you. But other than that, not a great jump shot, not a great handle, but played a lot in high school and played football, kickoff, return, a wide receiver, did a lot of things like that. But wasn't really a baseball player during that time. I came up playing, you know, Little League and 
all the way up through Senior League, Babe Ruth, and American Legion and things like that. I walked on in college, you know, in college, the, the college I went to, um, which is a whole nother story in itself, really didn't have, they didn't have a football team. In the basketball team, I really wasn't good enough to play. So I walked on with, with the baseball team from Bloomfield College first year. I, I, th- I think I went to the tryout. I hit one ball to second base, ran down the first baseline, and, and, and uh, the coach said, you're on the team. And that was it. <laughs> after that. The next year, I transferred to Keene University after that, and um, I got drafted in 99. So going back through that story, I went on to play with a bunch of different organizations, not, you know, not a major league guy. I spent a life in the minor leagues, but that played heavy into my fitness career. We had the conversation when you think about Steve Kerr and a lot of different guys. So you learn a lot of different skills when you got to scuffle for everything, right? So, you know, going there, I was a Division three guy. You know, I had like a full-time job working at General Motors in the guard shack. I had a um, full-time student going to class and then go full-time baseball player going to practice, you know, sleeping in the guard shack at night to get ready for practice. So, so you did all that. Tell me a little bit about the draft process. Because, I mean, all this early stuff I think is going to connect directly into the stuff that we've done in the fitness or that you've done in the fitness industry. We had an interesting conversation a long time ago, and I'll give a little bit of background, and then you can, you can carry it on from there, where I was trying to come up with a way to help our distributors or international distributors be aligned with the criteria that we were using to select our instructors, to make sure that the people that they were recruiting in to our, our development process was, was consistent with what we wanted. And I remember calling you up to talk to you about what the, what the baseball scouting report is like so that like all of these scouts, all these teams have to be kind of on the same page the way they evaluate somebody. And 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 you had some amazing insights about one, what that process is like, but two, you know, just how hard it is to get drafted. Can you expand a little bit on that? So that's an amazing story. It's much more difficult than when I first thought about it. You know, with my own draft story, the scout that was there wasn't there to see me. He was there to see somebody else. You know, I happened to have a great game that that particular day that kind of turned them on to to kind of, and then a couple of players would tell him, oh, you got to see this guy run. You got to see this guy play. And, you know, he kind of got interested after that, you know, and he came back for a couple workouts. And then later on, he basically told me, listen, you're going to get drafted. So you need to quit your job and do different things like that. I didn't believe him. I had been down that road. And the funny thing about it is the year before we had a guy who had been told the same exact thing and didn't get drafted by the Cleveland Indians. So mm-hmm. it was, kind of like an experience that we all watched so we were like shell-shocked and it was like for my coach who was there he was like listen I don't know you know if you trust them or not but you saw what happened last year but just to talk about the process a little bit the process um I had a chance to go into the major league scouting bureau for a little while and you know this was I think right before you know kind of like my whole entire TRX journey started and the Washington Nationals, my scout was a guy named Dana Brown, who was still assistant GM, assistant GM for Atlanta Braves now, I think. And he, you know, wanted me to join the scouting bureau. And it was, you know, kind of a tough process to go through. But one thing about it is you get to actually watch the draft process. So to put it into perspective for people is you think of how many people in the world actually pay, play baseball on a regular basis and then extrapolate that to how many are of like high school or college age that could possibly get drafted. So that's the pool you're pretty much working with. So when you think about a scout, a scout, their future is based on the players that they choose and where they go. 
So that their whole reputation is based on that. So in order for you to go in the draft process, which in baseball before this year was probably about 50 rounds, which sounds like a lot, but it's not really a lot when you think about how many players are playing baseball around the world sure. and on in the different levels of the minor leagues. The scout really has to put their job on the line to get you drafted, you know, because there's a whole process there. So if you're, you know, a high round draft pick or a mid round draft pick, a lot of people see you and sign off on that one pick before it actually can happen. So an interesting, funny story about it is he actually told me you're going to get drafted. And they went through, I think the first, they have two days at the time and it was one through 25. And I remember one through 25 went and I didn't get a call and I got no call from nobody. And it was late in the day. And I remember him calling me, he said, don't flip out. Don't flip out. We stopped early. We stopped early. So he called. He said, tomorrow, it's going to happen. It's going to happen tomorrow. So the next day he called me and I think I was in the bed sleeping. And he called me and he says, we just, we just took you with the first draft of, uh, of the day. And, uh, and I think I went back to sleep and I didn't even like realize. <laughs> I went back to sleep and I thought I was probably dreaming. At the time you had like, um, you couldn't just, you couldn't just go and kind of like you have today where you would have your phone and take a look at the draft and things like that. Back in the day, you had to go to like the computer lab and check up things and things like that. So that was kind of what I had to do. I went to the school computer lab and checked on it. And then next thing you know, I'm like, yeah, I got drafted today, which was great. Just to make sure um, it was real. Yeah, you got to make sure it was real. But, it, you know, the first day or whatever it is, that was when, you know, I called my mom and everything else and about the draft. And she, you know, said what everybody knows about the garbage and everything else. So that's kind of how that took off. Hold on. What do you mean what everybody knows about the garbage? So so basically on the first day, I remember going home and I was and we had the draft, which was, which was an interesting thing, right? And so... Something never happened before, and it was pretty unique. So I'm calling my mother, and my mother was a social worker. She pretty much, you know, she's pretty much work. That's it. She she didn't have much of a, you know, notice about baseball. She didn't know much about baseball at all. She had never seen me play until I actually got to the pros, and then I played locally. So I remember getting on the phone, and, and it was kind of like a big deal. So I was telling everybody, I'm like, all right, after he told me, yeah, you're going to get drafted today. So I called on the phone, and I'm like, Mom. We got the draft going on. The draft's happening today, and uh, I'm going to get drafted. And she's on the phone, and she's at work, and she's like, okay, cool. Whenever you guys get get finished drafting, make sure you take the garbage out. And hung up the phone. Right <laughs> and that's as it should be. That's awesome. Let's, let's fast forward a little bit. So you go, you get drafted, you play baseball, and you start to realize that you are not Daryl Strawberry. <laughs> no. I never was. I was a leadoff guy anyway. You know, you know, I, you love Dow Strawberry. I, I, it's two people that people love. Dow Strawberry, well, I love. Dow Strawberry and King Griffey Jr., two of the nicest swings you've ever seen your whole entire life. They had electricity. But for me growing up, we grew up in Shea Stadium, right? And I used to say we grew up in Shea Stadium. We sat so high up that, you know, you could ask God to hold your drink. But that was like, you know, essentially what a truck driver, which, which my dad was, that's what he could afford, basically. So he got, he got right. his boys in there. We went to the park and we went. Um, so, yeah, you get to the pros and um, it, it, it's a different experience. You know, it's, it's it, not one that I would ever give away for anything in life, you know, but you learned a lot of life lessons. Um, and a lot of things are transfer over to fitness, you know, when we get a chance to talk about that. But um, yeah, definitely an experience that I would never, you know, remove in any type of way, but it, 
it is a very different experience than what people would think of if you just look at it from face value to live it is much different. I, I always tell people I've been more places than FedEx and a lot of places that I wouldn't have gone. FedEx doesn't go. That FedEx doesn't go to. And um, <laughs> a lot of places that I would not have ventured to had I not been swinging a bat and catching a ball. You know, I'm so grateful and so, you know, uh, blessed to have had that opportunity. But it actually transfers a lot over into to, to what I do from a fitness perspective. So then let, let's, let's do that translate. So there you are. You're standing in the outfield in, in Quebec singing the national anthem, the Canadian national anthem in French, which is something this guy can do, which I was amazed when I found out. And at some point, you know, you realize that, okay, this isn't going to be it. And, and you move on to fitness. So tell me about that transition from out of, from out of baseball into, into the fitness industry and, and like why fitness, I mean, obviously you're a professional athlete. And so that's, that's an obvious tie across, but you know, talk to me about the quick transition from professional sports into fitness. And then we can kind of pick it up from there as to the journey and how everything connects in. Okay. So if you think about the fitness journey and kind of like transition, I always use that lightly because I didn't really transit. I was always in the fitness industry. I was actually in the fitness for me. I was in the fitness industry before I was, you know, ever, you know, play professional baseball. So I started in the fitness industry. I would say probably, I would say I started, you know, really loving fitness at a young age, but I started in the fitness industry when I was 15. You know, my first job was, you know, Bally's total fitness in Springfield, New Jersey. Um, okay. and, and essentially that was pretty much, I had that, like that love for fitness. So when you, when I first started, you know, it was based off, you know, it's having that older brother, right? So mm -hmm. you have the older brother and the older brother gets the first weight set, which was basically a bench and some plastic sand weights. Right. And, right, yeah, sure. and if you ever been a little brother and I don't know if you have brothers, but whatever the older brother gets, that's ours. It's not just yours. It's ours. You know, it drove him nuts. So the first thing is like, you know, he got a weight set for, I think his birthday. And then I'm like, you know, oh, we got a weight set. And he's like, not your weight set. Don't touch my weight set. Otherwise, you're, I'm going to kill you. So essentially to keep the fighting down in the house, my mom, she got me what you would call a Hulkamaniac workout set. So that was like back in the day when you had Hulk Hogan, half ripped t-shirt, cassette tape, mm -hmm. jump rope, different things like that, right? So that was my first element, foray into fitness. And then, um, you know, going back to really that kind of arc with fitness is because Amazon now is certain things you won't have anymore, like Walden books and B. Dalton books when you used to be in the mall, right? So I used to be right, with my right. mom in the mall and, you know, she's shopping, you know, so you hang out in the bookstore, right? I would. And the rule was you couldn't always buy a toy, but you could always buy a book. So I always would buy That's a book. It was the, it was, that was the rule of the house. You could always buy. So I just stacked up to this day. I still stack up books the same way. Right. Essentially that's what it was. So 15, you get working papers in New Jersey and all around the world. So she walks into a fitness, you know, Valley's total fitness and says, can my son have a job? And, uh, you know, the guy was this guy named Chris Lee, who was pretty much one of my first mentors ever. And he said, we don't have any like jobs I could give him except like trainer's job. And um, she's like, how does he get a job as a trainer? He enjoys doing push-ups. So basically, he said, well, you have to be studying for a certification or you have to get a certification. He doesn't have a high school diploma, so, you know, I don't know how that's going to work. 
So she went home and she opened the phone book. She started calling certifying places and just said, can my son take your test? He reads a lot of fitness books. I just want to know if he uh, actually reads them or he's just checking out the pictures. So she actually got one, which was like, I think a male insert. Yep. She actually got one, which is like a male insert at the time. I was probably going on 16 at the time. And she said, you know, basically she gave him the words that'll happen whenever you want things to happen in the fitness industry. I'll pay you more money. So they let me take the test and I ended up passing. I went to work at Bally's Total Fitness and that was where I started. So if we trans, if you kind of flash forward to that, that baseball element is, if you think about it, you know, baseball is, it, it, the life is hard, you know, a lot of, and I particularly love baseball and playing the game, but at the end of my career, I don't think I love the life as much as some people. So the thing is I wanted to, I was really, you know, enjoy playing, um, but at the time, I felt like I wanted to transition over. And, it's, it, and, and you see that kind of in life in a lot of aspects where you start to grow from a situation. You start to realize that you want to transition into doing some other thing. So for me, I started and I had always, you know, trained people in the offseason. I was always still doing things in the fitness industry because if you're not in the major leagues, you got to have a job in the offseason. Right. So in, sure. So, in, yep, so it was offseason. It was back to, you know, New York Sports Club, which was the next translation from Valley's. So the transition came, you know, basically when you realize that, you know, at this time I was ready to kind of move into, you know, that next career for me. So you left baseball and you were already been working at uh, New York Sports Club that whole time. And so it was really just I'm going to allocate more of my time into this into this kind of side career that you've been doing as you were in the minor leagues. Mm -hmm. And so so now you've been you've been you've been, you know, grinding away. You're doing the like. You're doing that PT job, right? Like working for the club, working your clients, all that kind of stuff. Now, tell me about sort of the next step as we start, because now we're starting to get into the, you know, the, the, the journey through fitness. So your personal trainer, just like, and I mean, I started off doing a lot of exactly the same kind of thing. And then, you know, like what happened to kind of move you along from, from that stage to, you know, like to, you know, because you don't just connect one dot to the other. There's a bunch of little dots all the way along, right? Sure, so, for sure. Uh, so talk to me about that. Uh, what, was, what was sort of the next step out, not so much out of New York State Sports Club, but to some extent, that started to change the way, allow you to rise up? So the thing about it is, you get that question a lot of times from people and they say, well, what would you tell people um, coming into the industry, like as a new trainer and things like that? For me, I did every job. You know, I think that everybody, and I don't know if it'll still be the same because I don't think, uh, I think that the industry is going to change a lot with the pandemic and the way we'll kind of go back to mainstream after this. But um, I was always a big proponent of everybody should start in a big box. Not because it's the best atmosphere, because it's not for everybody. But one thing that you do learn is you learn how all the different pieces of the fitness industry work. So for me, I worked up from just being a, you know, trainer, floor trainer, you know, I did housekeeping, you know, to make sure everything was clean for my clients. I'd work the front desk if nobody was there. Cause you obviously, you know, the thing is understanding what happens from the whole journey till they get to you is much more powerful than just thinking, all right, well, if I just, you know, make sure I give them the right exercises, then this is going to be, you know, this is going to work out as a career. There's a lot of things that happen before you get to that. Towards the end, you know, I did a lot of management and was a fitness director. So I, not only that, I was in charge of development and, and learning and, and training for, for uh, whole staffs of trainers, not just myself. So at the same time, trying to develop myself, working on developing other trainers to build the business, 
all types of skills that you take into, you know, where I kind of am now and working on, on different things. So kind of what started my journey from there on to, you know, where I met you guys is um, I pretty much had a client that, you know, came up to me after a really bad event. So I had, a, I had an event in January 25th in 2010 that, you know, kind of almost like ended my life. So following that, you know, that whole entire experience, you know, I kind of went in a direction where it was like, all right, so what are we going to do going forward from now into, you know, this new career and what do I really want to do? So I really tried to thrust myself wholly into that, but I was there for a long time. And really, I had a client who was just there for a long time. And she said, listen, you know, you're pretty decent at this. You know, I think that, you know, you should explore, you know, other possibilities because you're here all the time. You never miss a day. Um, you work hard on it. You love it. And I remember there was um, there was a pamphlet or a leaflet or something, and it said Under Armour Global Training Symposium on it. And I just remember looking at it, and I remember looking at it, and the price was, you know, kind of way out of my price range. I didn't really have money for it. I didn't have things like that. But I figured, like, something about it kept coming back to me. Something about it kept speaking to me in a certain way, right? And saying, you should try to go to this thing. So what happened is I was just kind of talking about it. And I had a client just say, you know, I'll loan you the money if you want to go, if you really will go, you know, because I think that, you know, this is speaking to you and is gone, which is one of those things where I always think that at times in life, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear, right? And opportunities appear at certain times um, for you. So when you think about it, it's, it's one of those things where you could either grab hold to it or you could let it pass. So what happened is she basically said, I'll, I'll loan it to you. And, you know, if you take the opportunity, I'm sure you'll get it back to me at some point. And I did. And I went out, I took the, the journey and I went out to, you know, didn't know anybody, went out to, you know, Florida to the symposium and it was at IMG. And that was kind of what started this whole journey here. Prior to that, actually, my first experience with TRX was um, there used to be a nice lady who used to work there named Denise Lustel. And what she used to do is she used to have all of these trainer networkings in New York City. And I remember, I remember that. Yep. She used to have all these trainer networkings in New York City. What she did was she was trying to book different courses, certain places, and she was trying to book courses at New York Sports Club. So she came in and that was how I met her. She saw I had a bunch of, you know, kind of, you know, most of my NFL guys and, and some pro players that would come in and train. And she said, yeah, you should come to the networking. And that was kind of like my first real experience of saying, all right, well, you know, there's opportunities with TRX. Um, mm -hmm. and, and before that, I was using the tool with the athletes and things like that and that first foray into that. So that kind of was the spark that got me, you know, kind of interested. So the first thing was really – those networkings. And then that symposium was the thing that kind of pushed me over the edge. So you meet Denise, go to this networking stuff, you get to the symposium. And then, and then what happened to the symposium? Like, why was that? You, you mentioned that as being like sort of pivotal. What, 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 uh, what transition happened there? You know what, what's funny is the energy was different. It was already a philosophy that I had about integrating athletic training with is something that I had already done, but, it was seeing a lot of different people from around the world that were doing mm -hmm. the same thing. So we talked about this before when it was like, um, 
when I talk about Greece and people would say, man, it's great to go to Greece. And one of my, you know, the great things about going to Greece with TRX and, and doing that was just the understanding that there were people all across the globe, not just like New Jersey and United States that flip on their lights in the morning. And, you know, they use those straps as the way they, you know, provide a living for themselves. And mm -hmm. it was just, to me, it was just massively humbling and also, you know, just introspective. So when I look at like that symposium, it was just being amidst, and, and I often would say this about the TRX summits when people would ask during courses whether they should go. It's nothing like being immersed in a culture with, with like-minded people that, it helps energize you and spurs you on to where you go. One of the things that was really great about it was I went on my own. I didn't know anybody. Right. So, so you, had to, you had to meet a bunch of people. I had to meet a bunch of people. And those people that I met then, you know, and you could look at a lot of them ended up TRX, ITC, a lot of them ended up across the industry doing amazing things. But a lot of people make up, a lot of those people make up my network of people that I still know to this day right now. So it's so interesting because you often can think back and say, had I not gone to that, you know, so that was the first one. And then actually after going to the first one, they had the whole program where they were bringing in people as master trainers. And that was at the second one when TRX got involved. And uh, that was really the changeover because when TRX got involved, other companies got involved, Under Armour was already involved, but that was on the visit when kind of we met I met mm -hmm. Frankel for the first time, um, who was that Dorian Adams and, and a whole right. bunch yeah. other. so it was so many other people and they got involved and it was, it, it, it was a cool, and I know, I know kind of where you're going to go next. Cause you're going to talk, <laughs> cause you talk about, it's not about where I'm going. It's going to be where yeah. you're going, but the, all right. All right. We'll go. So now, you know, if you're listening along that some of the key things that, that, that Mike's talked about is first of all, taking those chances to get out of your bubble because nothing changes when you stay inside your bubble, but getting outside of that bubble into a, a greater community, a broader community that, you know, pushes you, but also opens your mind to everything that might be out there. And, and then because of the person you are and the people you meet opportunities come out of those relationships. And then we'll get to what you actually do with those opportunities, because there's lots of people who opportunities go, you know, they, they watch them go flying by. Well, that was a good one. Oh, I like that one. That was cool. But don't actually put themselves out and take that chance on the opportunity. I mean, you took a chance. You said, wow, man, I can't afford to go to this Under Armour thing. But I got a client who says that they'll pay me for it right now. And I got to pay him back. But I don't have the money. Like, that's a big extension at that stage in your life. But you chose to do it. You took that chance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I'm listening to you, you know, the thing that, the thing that strikes me is that your willingness to take a chance and bet on yourself is key and then go with it. Yeah, most definitely. I think that when you look at, it's like if this indefinitely, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted people to be able to take away some actionable things from this, you know, since we get a chance to have this cool talk. And I think that oh. is it. Like you, you definitely want to be able to take chances. When you look at it, I I'll always look at that and say, what happened, what would have happened had I not gone yet? But it's also, you know, following your passion for what you want to do. So it's like if you asked me and said, hey, what would you have done, you know, earlier? You know, the thing is, there is in the industry an inclination to try to work with everybody. 
you know, I'm over here doing this, I'm over here doing this, this looks cool, that looks cool. For me, you know, training athletes and also integrating athletic training into what I what I do was always really a passion of mine is what kind of distinguished me from a lot of trainers. So for me, going there was really following the passion and, and being able to do it. So it's like, you know, if you say, hey, what resonated with the TRX brand? It fit right into what I was doing, you know, mm-hmm. and really, you know, definitely, if I look back, it's, you want to take advantage of every opportunity that you could have. So for me, I don't really like taking things from other people, but the fact that at that point, somebody was saying, I'm willing to kind of, you know, have you back and work with you, you know, um, you know, for this opportunity, because I see there's something bigger for you. That, that to me was That's huge. Oh, it's huge. And then, That's huge. but it, it, it's like, we talk about footsteps across an, an experience, right? There's a lot of things like that along the way. So if we think about where, you know, where we are now, there was a lot of steps along the way, but a lot of people along that path. So if you look at that, I would also add to that, be on the lookout for the people, you know, that are being sent to you mm-hmm. and those coaches to help you on to the next step and the next level. Well, and then I think another part of it is, is where, whenever you go, don't be afraid to like, be there completely present and show out because I know from the other side of it, right? So you, you talk about that second one when TRX got involved and I was there and Frank was there and some other folks. And I remember meeting you and I remember, but we met a couple hundred people that during that event, maybe a few more, but like, I remember meeting you. I've actually, TA was on last week with us talking with, with Sean. I remember meeting, remember meeting him at that same thing and both of you guys stood out because of the force of your personalities and that you were, you were not playing the back, you were showing out and, um, and being yourselves, right? Like there wasn't anything inauthentic about that, but that's part of the taking advantage of that opportunity is, is not just taking a chance and going someplace, but taking a chance, going someplace and then believing in what you've got to offer and the effort and the, like you guys were doing it and that stood out to us, which was, you know, one of the reasons why our, our relationship continued, whereas, you know, of all the other people that, that I met on that weekend at Frankel, man, I mean, I, there's some that are, has, have stayed connected, but the majority of them, not so much, you know? Um, all right. So, so now we've done that. We've met, you know, the love fest going on. People are super excited about working together and, and you get invited out to, to come to an ITC, our instructor training course. Mm-hmm. Can't remember which one it was. If it was, it was. I think it was like an STC. I think we were doing. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that, just real quick, because it's funny, and then we can move on to some of the other stuff that you've done. No. So the first ITC coming out was, you know, what's the funny thing about that is I'd never been to San Francisco before. So for me, I thought like California was like California, and I'm like, all right, I packed a whole bunch of summer clothes, and I didn't have any like kind of jeans or nothing, and I got there, and it was cold as hell, and I'm like. It's, it's cold. It's California. So I remember spending the first couple, the first night I was miserable. I had to find a North Face store and I'm like, I, I bought maybe two jackets. And I'm, I'm like, oh, it's just, it was just freezing cold. The ITC though, I, you know, I'll always remember that experience because when you think about just to kind of back up and I think that's something actionable for people because a lot of people I'm sure in the time since you've been head of training development and doing different things have come up to you and wanted to be instructors. 
And I know that's a popular question and things like that. And I remember my initial conversation with you. So a lot of times when I'll tell people, if you are looking, one thing about becoming an instructor for TRX, it wasn't really about cache for the brand or, or I didn't know anything about that. I knew that they were the best, you know, teachers. They were the best instru instructors. I had taken courses. And for me, I thought that it was going to be a great learning experience for me because I really wanted to become, you know, better at what I do. So the first, my first question to yourself and Dorian, because I had put in applications was how can I improve my application? It wasn't, how can I become an instructor? It was, can you take a look at my application? How can I improve it? You know, and that was really kind of what spurred the conversation. And then later on, we got a chance to kind of go out. And, and then that was when uh, we, we were out and Fraser said, basically he said, I've never, I, I think we were watching the NBA playoffs. And he said, I've never. That sounds like something I do. Yep. He said, he said, I never met an American who could sing the, the Canadian national anthem from start to finish. So I said, uh, yeah, you have. <laughs> and that was. That's right. You sang it in French. And basically, yeah, because I've been listening to it every day. So that was it. So going, you know, moving towards that ITC, you know, extremely great experience. But I'll always, um, and this is just an actionable thing about that group that I was with. That group that I was with there, um, it's always been an inspiration. Because the thing about that process and if we talked about the process when you, and this is for like new instructors that come in or people who might go on other, the process didn't suffer fools, you know what I mean? And it was a, it was a tough process where you had to really, um, you had to really show and prove. So being there, you know, essentially it was almost like, I'm going to give you a book. You're going to teach sections of this tomorrow and that's going to be it. You know, so you watch maybe some of the best, you know, speakers, orators, whatever you want to call them you know, turn into jelly right there on the first, you know, kind of teach back. Um, so it forced you to raise your level. So when I think about this, if you look at what the actionable step, because that's why we're here for, uh, that's what we're here for. It's like, you want to be in, I, I at least wanted to be, that's the one thing I carried over from baseball is I wanted to always be in groups that forced me to raise the level of what I was doing. You know, I always think of like Kurt Warner, right? And we think of Kurt Warner, if people haven't heard of Kurt Warner, go, go to Google. But Kurt Warner is in the Hall of Fame as a football quarterback, right? But before that, he was a great player in Arena Football League. He had already washed out of the NFL. And then he went back, you know, in, in that first year with the Rams. You know, some guy got hurt, he steps in, and all of a sudden, you know, it's, you know, the greatest show on turf. He could have stayed at, in the Arena Football League and been happy to be the, you know, big fish in a small pond. But – he went somewhere to try to raise his level. It wasn't good enough for him. So you always, I'm always kind of thinking, all right, how can I get with a group that's going to help me raise my level? That's what that whole group at TRX was, especially that second group. It was never, it was always like, you know, you're doing this. Okay, I'm going to be doing this. You're doing this. Oh, I seen you do that. I could do this. And it was always really about encouragement. It was never really about, hey, you know, you know, entitlement or things like that. It was always, you can be, you can better your best. And that's, that's really what I got from that first ITC. And it was, you know, something that I'll always remember is always was, was part of my growth and in, in development. So, so now you're cranking along, you've got New York sports clubs, but you've got this thing going on with TRX and, and you're seeing different people do different things. Tell me about what was it that, that, um, 
took you from from where you were to be like, yeah, I don't want to work for these guys anymore. I want my own place. What was that process like? Saying like, I want I want my own place. Well, there's not a trainer in the world that hasn't thought that before. But there's a difference between saying I want my own place and actually going about doing that. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that process and what gave you the confidence to kind of launch because that's what it is. It's a commitment and a risk um, and how that worked. It was always a dream of mine. So when I, I, you know, I would see places, I would go to places I always would look like. Even when I was at IMG, I would say, all right, well, if I had a place, how would I do this? And I was always really interested in becoming a, a business owner. Even when I played baseball, I spent a lot of time around the owners talking to them and just thinking about how you would do different things and became good friends with them. Um, so it was always something that I felt like I wanted to create a place because growing up, I really didn't have a lot of coaching. It was more like in sometimes I work with the kids now and they don't really understand. It wasn't like nowadays you got four personal trainers, you got a hitting coach, you got things like that. It was none of that. When I grew up, it was really like a, you know, a wiffle ball in a bat, you know, and get in front of the house and, and, and work it out and or your brother helped you showed you a couple of things and then you find somebody else or somebody else on the block helped you with a couple of things so I wanted to create a place where athletes could come and not only that but a comfortable place for people to come and just get better you know and, and improve their skills and you know create a great atmosphere for them so um, I always wanted to do that so taking that step was once again, every time I was, while I was working in big box gyms or doing different things, I really had that in mind. So I really would try to, especially as a fitness director, try to think of the different things that I would do if I really owned the place, you know? So I'm like, how, how would I do this differently? So taking the ownership helped me kind of perform on a, on a different level with those things. So taking the steps to do that later on was really natural to me. The tough part about it is I don't come from an independently wealthy family. So uh, you had to start small. So for me, what I did is after leaving there, I found a, a tennis place, which was an old dilapidated tennis place in the gym. Seemed like it probably was from like the 1970s. It probably still looks like that today. So basically what I did is I walked in and I pretty much, you know, negotiated with the owner of the place to, you know, run fitness services for that small place. And at the same time, you know, the overhead was low and I could start my company there and started to build the clientele a little bit. And, and looking at that, you know, that's one of those things that I would say that if you were looking to start something and I don't know if now would be the climate to do that, it's to find, they call them business incubators. When you, when you look at it from a different standpoint, you see a lot of places have business incubators where people can share space and keep the overhead low mm -hmm. as they try to build their business. So basically what I did is I tried to build my own. And that was what I did, just a small little tennis facility and, you know, less money on marketing because you did have inflow of people. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I could bring my athletes in and out and at the same time kind of infuse my own equipment and own philosophy into everything. So now you're, so you're working in a, you're working in a, somebody else's facility, but it's your own business. So you're basically a business within a business, especially yep. is how you've arranged it. And you've kept your overhead low, your rent or percentage of, of, of uh, whatever your revenue is. I presume it was rent. Is that right? You're just paying them like a, a monthly rent for the use oh, of this pay. facility? Yeah, we pay rent just like every other facility. Yeah. Yep. Just, just like any other place. Yep. And so then you, you, you build it up and then you're like, okay, at some point, I imagine you know, you got your clientele going, you've got more coming in, like a lot more coming. You can pay yourself. Usually you've got extra there. You don't have to worry about the rent with him. 
So now you've got to make this next step to, you know what? I don't want to be under this anymore. I want my own space, my own thing, my own walls, not a business within a business, just mine. So tell me about how that transition worked for you. And, and as you're going along, everybody's listening, thinking, okay, how would I, how would I, how could I get after that? So I see now the first phase, get yourself established outside of a big box in a way that's keeping your overhead as low as possible. So you can mitigate your risk that way. How does the next step work? Next step happens because basically I started looking for spaces, you know, because what happens is when you're in that, that space right there, obviously, you know, the overhead was low, but also, you know, the opportunity is also low too in a certain aspect. Mm -hmm. So it depends on where you want to go, you know? So for me, what I wanted to do was more, uh, we wanted to build what was more of a performance facility, you know, so we needed a lot more space. Uh, obviously, I didn't want 50 feet of turf, but we wanted to be able to, you know, take care of any need that an athlete would have. So mm -hmm. um, we started to look for different spaces and basically came across um, 6,000 square foot space. And actually, it was somebody moving out of it who really needed to get out of it. So they motivated and we were able to move in. So it's really taking that smaller box and putting it into a bigger box. Does it make it easier um, by any stretch of means? So if you're talking about wins and losses, when, when you move into bigger things, you know, you often end up with bigger problems and bigger challenges. So, so if we look at it that right. way, bigger challenges, but also bigger opportunities. So um, from that space, it's really, it, it, if somebody was looking to make that move, you know, what I would say to you is, you know, definitely have a concrete business plan. If you are, if you think about from an aspect of doing it and doing it wisely, if you can get a partner that balances your strengths and weaknesses, um, it's mm -hmm. a lot easier to do, you know, and, you know, I would say a lot of people would say more cash, but more cash doesn't necessarily lead to better business. You know, it, it leads to, you know, you making sometimes bigger mistakes. But if you look at it, if you can find somebody that balances your strengths and weaknesses and you can work with them, it's great. If not, you want to make sure that you have, you know, your services and marketing and things like that dialed in. And, and those are really things. So because it's hard to learn on the fly in a big facility and everybody, they're very attractive and, and people want to, you know, jump into. I, I remember being, a, you know, in, early in that process, right? And you think about IMG. And you see all these really big places, right? And I used to say, wow, man, I'd love to have a place like that. Now I just look at it and see high rent. So it changes the, <laughs> the perspective completely changed from what it used to be. It's not a negative thing. It's, it's really, you know, when you look at, you know, being a student of the whole process, it's really learning at every aspect of the business to help you get to that point so that you can do it successfully. And I think that we're at a point right now where you do need to be a little bit more dialed in with that because we don't know what the future is going to hold after this is all over with. So what do you think is the biggest mistake or the biggest pitfall for folks as they're going through the process that you've already been through? Is there just, you know, you're, 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 you're excited. You've always dreamt about having your own business. You've got a clientele. You can work for somebody else. All right, I'm going to go what's either the biggest, yeah, the, the mistake that you see people making or maybe the one that you just narrowly avoided or the pitfall that you kind of like just got over, but you're like, man, I wish someone had told me that was there. Or 
what you just talked about, I thought was interesting, like partnering, not with someone who has the same skill set as you, but partnering with someone who has a, has a different skill set, someone who not going to argue with you about, about the skill set that you have, but that is actually going to compliment, compliment you. I think there's a couple things there that, that are interesting. Yeah. The, the thing about this, well, we could go through a lot of pitfalls, but <laughs> the thing, if we think about um, your top three, let's, let's talk about, well, uh, we, <laughs> let's try to get to. So if you think about one pitfall partnering, you could extrapolate that to hiring. So mm-hmm. when you think about hiring other people or working with other trainers or having them, it's easy because it's such a personal business to um, you're going to automatically gravitate to people who are like, mm-hmm. and that can be a mistake. And a lot of times it is a mistake because what happens is, if I had five trainers in here, especially afterward, after now, the, the worst thing I want them to do is to all be just like me. Because if they, if they basically have the same strengths that I have, that means they also have the same weaknesses, which means that there's no balance to what we're offering, which means that we're still weak in a certain area. So a lot of, you know, trainers that I've hired and I used to be in charge of staffs of 20 trainers at New York Sports Club. And that was really what I needed. Um, is a lot of the ones that worked out were ones that I weren't really sure about at the beginning. I was not so sure. I didn't know whether I liked this guy. I didn't know whether this guy worked out. And they ended up being some of the ones who really lasted the longest and did so well because what happened is, you know, they had strengths and skills that I didn't possess. If we went through another pitfall that you see a lot is people thinking that bigger will solve the problem that they have now. You know, when you think about it, they're like, oh, man, I could have, you know, I'm not doing that great right now, but I'd be doing really good if I had another 5,000 square feet, which is the worst thing to do. You know, so when we think about it, we weren't, we didn't move into a bigger space because we were struggling in one aspect and it was going to solve the problem. We wanted to be able to offer more to the athletes that we had. So when I think Mm -hmm. about where I was, um, so at the time I had a bunch of, you know, when I think about one of my, one of my biggest guys who was at my grand opening for people who were here, you know, it was Kareem McKenzie, who was a longtime client of mine. Kareem is 6'7", 260, 270 pounds at his playing weight. So basically mm-hmm. where he could pick up, you know, he could pick up plates like Frisbees and throw them across the room if he really wanted to. So we couldn't really accommodate everything that he needed to stay in shape or where he wanted to be for the season. So we wanted to get a place that really kind of served the need a little bit better so that we could get more people like that. But it wasn't out Mm -hmm. of of saying, oh, well, the business is going to get better when we get into this bigger place because it won't. It's going to get right Because you were answering a need. Yeah. Because you had a need to expand. Yeah. And and being able to expand is like, okay, now we do have space to handle somebody like, like Kareem. And so now other people like Kareem, he's going to go and tell all the people that he, that he's playing with, like, Hey, this is, this is working all right. I, I can't, I can't hit one wall from the other with the, uh, with the 45 pound plate. Yeah. And even, and even if, you know, later on when it was done with him, you know, to be able to have that space for other people, but you know, the space is really just one part of it. So the business is really, the business I think would have to be solid before you decide you're going to move into, you know, that bigger space and do different things. So why the book? Why the book? Why the book? Tell me about the book. I want to know about the book. So, you know, what's funny is things, things kind of change and you grow as, as a fitness professional, right? And one of the things is what, what will be here after you go? And 
I have a lot of ideas and things that I wanted to do. So it's like when you, the, the book was an extension of being out presenting and doing different things, right? So if somebody said, why present? One is I'm, I think when you first start presenting for a lot of people, it's about really standing up in front of a bunch of people, right? People want to stand up in front of people and things like that. And then I think there is a, there's an evolution of where you start thinking of what's my message? What am I saying to people? What do I really have to say? And, I, and for me personally, I think that I, when, when I don't have anything to say anymore, I won't present or, or speak anymore because it's, for me, it's about improving this industry that I love so much that has done so much for me and given so much to me trying to give back into it. So when I think of the book, really, I'm an avid reader. I read all the time and I really wanted to take philosophy and really kind of crystallize it in a form that where people could understand it and people could use it. And um, it was all my bucket list, one of the things I've always wanted to do. But there's something I, you know, moving forward, I want to do more of. But what happened with that first book was that I had Adam Campbell, who was a great friend of mine, who was an editor at Men's Health and, you know, had always been talking to him and uh, basically about other things. And he heard about the 30 minute thing I was doing. So he said, tell me about this 30 minute thing. So he got me on a Zoom call like this. And I really went through kind of the whole philosophy, whole process. And I thought he didn't like it. They got off the call. He said nothing about it. He said absolutely nothing. He went off. And this has happened a lot of times before. But he said nothing. He just went off and went about his business. And then I got a call from him. I think, you know, I, I think it was probably in like a December or something. And he says, you know, um, you know, that 30 minute, we want to do the book. This is the only catch. You need to write it before New Year's, you know, because oh. <laughs> yeah, you got 30 days to write it. That's it. And I'm leaving. So this is going to be my last project. So, you know, essentially, I, you know, we wrote the book on short notice. So for me, now I'm working on kind of some, a, a, a book that would more crystallize, you know, more of the philosophy. So that was more of a 30-minute thing. This is more of, you know, this is what my beliefs are in training. So really that's, when you think about that evolution from when we first met, and we started with the framework of speaking and doing different things. It's really moving off into what, what are your own ideas? What's the message that you want to send to people? And everything, I feel like everything that I should do going forward is based around that. Um, and not so much of, I just want to be, you know, hey, I just want to be at these 14 conferences or this conference or that conference. It's more what message am I delivering? Because I want to be, you know, a contributor to the industry. That's awesome. All right. So you've talked a few times I've been rolling along about, you know, the people, like, you know, your that initial client that, you know, pushed you a little bit and then facilitated you getting out to places and, and some of the others. Tell me, talk to me a little bit about the role that influencers and mentors have played for you from both inside and outside the industry in terms of your approach to business, to life in general. And then maybe you can shift into talking about, what's, what's that? I mean, we always have mentors in our lives and I presume you've still got some now that are helping drive you, but what's it like to be on the other side of that as people are now looking to you to mentor them and, and, um, and maybe you can just talk about that whole relationship. One, the one that you have with your mentors and then what it's like to be on the other side. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's a, that's a big one. question. I like that. Well, no, it's a, it, yeah, this one is a good, <laughs> It's a good there's, a, there's a lot there is what I'm saying when I say there big is, questions. There is. Keep going on. 
So the thing about that is, you, you heard me say this a couple times, when the student's ready, the coach will appear. And that's happened for me so many times throughout life. And I think that when you're ready to take next steps and next levels, coaching is abs absolutely important. You know, when you look at, like, this whole journey, it, if I think about mentors, obviously I had a lot of mentors with baseball, and I could go on and on about that, you know, that helped me on right. that. But when we think about being my first steps with TRX, that was pretty much a, a, a great mentorship aspect. My first foray before I even get to that was being at that global symposium actually introduced me to how I found it more so than anything is I started looking for people who had backgrounds like I had, you know, who were athletes, who right. own their own business, who, you know, were successful from what I could see and were doing well in the industry. And I came across, you know, Todd Durkin was one of the first ones and, you know, he had his mentorship. I went out to that and through that, I met Larry Indiviglia, who was pretty much the guy who, you know, Todd was, was influential in that, but Larry worked with me on a regular basis, asking a lot of different questions. You know, being in TR, with TRX, right, um, we think about face up, right? And I don't know if anybody's ever put it this way, but if, for me, um, I often tell this to friends, especially in that second group we were in. I'm so happy that I went through and I came through at the time that I came through it because mm -hmm. one year I had to prove and earn everything. And it doesn't mean that people don't have to earn things later because I'm sure they do. And it's, it's just as a different time to tell a story for people to understand the experience. But the leaders I had there, it's almost like each leader represented a different letter for the face up thing. So it's like, if you had fun, you know, you had Dan McDonough, you know, or, you know, some, there could be anybody at any one time. If you had authentic, you had Steve Katai and a bunch of other different people. You know, if you had competitive, that could have been any one of you guys. Efficient would have been yourself. You know, United could have been anybody. And then physical, you had like Pete Holman and a bunch of different people. So, sure. and then Frankel, you know, you think about efficient, he's in there, but each person kind of represented the different letters of that for you and you learn different things from different people from a mentorship mm -hmm. aspect and you could pick out an interchange in many way i'm probably not doing them justice by throwing letters at everybody but um when i oh, went good. through i learned so much from each individual person right and the stuff that i take on later on in, in, in life so from a mentorship aspect and business aspect obviously you know i think about it, i read all the time so i think that people you have to look at different businesses because if you just stay within the fitness industry, you have, um, this is tough because there is what we would call saturation, right? So there's the, the thought to just mimic what you see. And that's a tough thing to do because the funny thing about it is you don't know whether that's working or not, whatever you're seeing this other people doing. So you could be running challenges, but you don't know whether that's working. You see people copy and copy and copy. So it's good to go out and, you know, you think about the great people like Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, and so on and so forth. So some of the mentorship things you have, definitely coaching, coaching was important because it helps you get through and you have somebody to bounce ideas off. And more importantly than anything, ask the right questions. So when I think of mentorship now, and it's something that I really – starting to dive into a little bit and the thing about it is if, any, if anybody wants to know about it, I don't know if I'm allowed to do that, but they can go to MikePiercy.com. <laughs> you can go to MikePiercy.com. I have my mentorship program on there, which is Playmakers. Um, and I'll explain to you kind of what that means. But if I think about mentorship and one of the main pitfalls, right, coaching, there's five, five things that you could kind of glean from. Well, five things I came kind of came across that you could take away and you think about the whole coaching experience. 
One, find a coach and join. So it's join. So I'll break them down first. It's join, participate, imitate, emulate, graduate. Okay. So just to explain kind of where I'm coming from. So people, you know, a lot of times coaching is important. You definitely need to find a coach if you're looking at kind of next level and no matter what you're doing. But a lot of people join, you know, mentorships or coaching and they just don't participate. They don't do much. They think that like the magic's going to happen just from, from being a part of the process. And that's where you get to this whole playmaking aspect. And we talked about this before where it's more like, a, you know, the last thing you ever want to do is, is gain a spirit of entitlement right? Where you think that you deserve things just because you've been there. Because that's mm -hmm. not how things work. You know, that's not how it works on a team. So if, and I know this is a long-winded answer, right? I hope it's okay. Um, good. But when I think about growing up, right? And you talked about growing up, it was like going out for a team, right? And that you go to tryouts and then what happens is they hang up on the wall who made the team, mm -hmm. you know? So you run and you say, oh, man, I made the team. But coming home in my house, it was like, you made the team. That's great. But, okay, so how are you going to make the team better? You know, and that's where it comes. It was always about how can you make plays? All right, so it's one thing to be on the team, but it's another thing to actually make plays. And that's really mm -hmm. what you want to be doing, right? So if you say, why the book? Why doing things like that? Because – you're on a team, man. You, it's your job to help raise the level. So the great thing about baseball is this really funny thing. You got nine batters in a lineup. Somehow, and I think it was Bill Madlock who was a manager who said this to me. Somehow, some way, this is how you know God's in the game somehow, right? Because somehow, one way or another, that great player in the lineup is going to end up at bat at the end of the game with a chance to win the game. So somehow Ken Griffey's going to end up at the end of the game. Right, sure. Eric Do you know what I mean? You start thinking, Dallas Strawberry with a chance to win the game. That's you in this whole scheme of everything, right? So we think about it, that's where it is. So it's join, participate, make plays. And then when I think about imitate, there's like this thing. You join up, you find a coach, right? And then I see I got Fraser Quelch and then – Really what I do is I, you got things that you do really well, so I learn to imitate it, right? And I start to gain, you know, some of myself in that. But once that's done, I can't stay in that boat because I can't be you. What you do well, I don't necessarily do well. And if we have more time, we could talk a lot about the different things that, you know, I kind of learn. But then comes emulation where you take what the coach has given you and you go to the next level with it or you try to take it to the next level. But at the end, you have to graduate. And I'm always looking at people who are in these coaching programs and things like that, right? And it's like, I've been in the coaching program for 10 years. 10 years? It's like high school, you got to graduate. College, you got to graduate because it's time for you to move on and do, you know, to lay your own stamp. Or the coaching evolves into partnership. And I think that that's, that's powerful. So that's – that might not answer your question about how I feel about – No, it totally does. I mean, it, it, it not only – not only answers it, it actually puts it in a framework, which I think is awesome. And really one of the things that you just said, I mean, that whole concept of graduating is key. Um, we joke, some friends of mine around here, you know, some be like, oh, wow, you know, you've been, you've been playing for how long? 25 years. Wow. You should be better. Mm -hmm. 
you should be better. You've been playing for 25 years because the whole idea of like, yeah, you've been in the mentorship program for 10 years, but if you don't keep pushing beyond what you're being shown, one, it never becomes you. And, and then it also, it, who, who's to say there's not a next for you? You can't take whatever you've been learning and taking it to an entire different level. Just like you said, hey, you know, you're a trainer and you're imitating what's out there. Okay, great. But there's no way to differentiate yourself if you're imitating everybody else. And so that whole concept of graduating, I think, is, is, is critical. That's, that's, a, that's an amazing way to, to put it up. All right, man. Well, hey, we are almost out of time. But before we go, before we go, I, want, uh, I, got, a, I got a rapid fire now. We got a rapid fire. Right, five and five. I'm going to ask you five questions. Let's do you, got, it. you got like 60 seconds to get to something with it. So um, first of all, what are you most excited about or focused on right now in your own training? What am I focused on in my own training? Yeah, when you go to the gym, like in that, in that, when you're allowed in your gym, I mean, because you're still not open. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm focused on efficiency right now, right? The, the older guys usually say when you play a sport, they usually say by the time you learn to play, you can't play anymore because you know how to do, you know. So for me, I, I'm enamored with trying to find the proper dosage for everything instead of just, you know, being a hit maniac, being a running maniac. So what can I do? So I try to set goals for myself still like I'm programming for people, but at the same time, mm -hmm. can I be more efficient with the things I'm programming for myself? So I use myself as a guinea pig. Here's another one. If you had the whole day to yourself, you got nothing to do, you know, like the whole day all to yourself, what do you go do physically? What do I go do physically? Yeah. Well, what, what are you going to go do? You got the whole day to yourself. What are you going to go do? Well, I'm not really a beach person, so I would kind of probably. You're not an outside person. Don't even give me. Oh, I'm not a nature person at all, <laughs> so I'm not going to lie to you. I would probably bowl, you know. You go bowling. Would... Yeah, I would probably go bowling. That was one of those things where, like, um, you know, my pops passed, and we used to go bowling growing up, and it's really a therapeutic thing. If I was ever in a slump, uh, we would always go bowl and he said, get your head out of there and uh, go bowl and do different things right now. So I would jump out and do that probably most likely. That is awesome. Is it the shoes? Uh, Got to be the shoes. It's like, own. That, it's like that old Michael Jordan commercial yeah. with Mark Blackman. Is it the shoes? I got my own shoes, man. I got, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So is this your life's work? What's next from Mike Pierce? <laughs> What's next? Wow, that's a rapid fire too. Damn. Um, <laughs> what's next for me is I look at uh, we went back to mentorship and it's really to try to be you know uh, a light for people in the industry or a guiding you know. So if I think about coaching and mentoring people, it's really to be of help and be of assistance to people you know in the industry. So obviously I went through this whole TRX you know journey and it's not over by any stretch of means but I think that at certain points you evolve to a point where you become uh, much better at helping other people see their journey and being a guide on some of that so that's what I kind of want to do so is if it's if I'm able to step to the side a little bit and help some of the people that are just you know kind of arriving on the scene or want to do some great things if I could be of any help to them that's really what I want to do. So kind of be able to try to provide some things in that aspect. So that's probably where it would be. I, I don't know. I think the life's work is trying to raise the level of the industry. And I think that if we could do that through helping other people on the road, I think that's, that's noble. That's awesome, man. Well, buddy, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on. I'm uh, as psyched as always to, to chat with you. I can't wait to connect again soon. 
Um, hey, if uh, where where can people find you if they're looking for you? All right, so you can find me. Like I said, if you're interested in any programs or any like like I said, my coaching program is coming on soon, and you can go to mikepiercy.com. Um, you can also find me on Instagram uh, at Michael Piercy, and you always can go to at the Lab Sports, which is so that is the website and that is the IG as well. So. They go, when you're in New Jersey, when you're in New Jersey, come and see this man because uh, he takes it personally. If you don't, I know I still got to get there because I've not been in New Jersey, um, you know, anytime since you've opened your place. But, but I tell you, the first time I'm in New York, New Jersey, I'm, I'm coming. I promise you. People because they haven't come through. But if you come from any of those states, I'm quarantining them for 14 days. You got to stay in the bathroom. So <laughs> other than that. All right, my man. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate you, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll catch you sometime again soon. All right. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you guys for having me. Thanks for everybody that stayed Take on. Care, All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the TRX Procast. As a thank you, we'd like to offer you 30 days of free access to the TRX Training Club, which features hundreds of amazing workouts with some of the best trainers in the world. Get your access by the link in the episode description below. 